You're listening to teaching from Central Church in West Columbia, South Carolina. We hope that this message will help you experience Jesus in a new and exciting way. For more information, please visit us at centralnazarene.org. November, you have to remind yourself, it's November, at least I do. Uh, I'm thinking, thinking it's like July, not really, but I keep trying to hold on to summer, you know, I'm trying to hold on, but I, it, it, it confronts me every day, yeah, it's not, it's not November. I mean, it's not July, it, you know, the leaves are falling and the colors, but we, you know, we went to the mountains uh, Monday and Tuesday uh, and half of Wednesday, uh, and up in the mountains, you know, Winter's already got there. Uh, I thought we might see some leaves. Well, we did, but they were all on the ground. You know, it was, they were gone. You know, except the evergreens, that, that was pretty much, that was it. I was a little bit disappointed in that, but hey, uh, we survived. It was beautiful. It was great. Um, we've been talking about um, end time stuff and trying my best uh, to present what I think is a, a, a accurate uh, concept of what the Bible has to say about it and, and not what uh, particular authors or books or whatever happens to say about it. But try to do a biblical theology and not maybe an American theology or a, um, uh, a, a Reformed theology since we're Wesleyans, it makes a difference. And um, so, how does that help you? Does it bless your socks off? Pretty much, you know. All right, so today we're going to deal with a phrase that is commonly used but is generally misused. I'm just trying to be a blessing. A phrase that is commonly used but is most generally misused. And it is the phrase, the last days. How many times have you heard, maybe in the last three months, we're living in the last days. Anybody ever heard that in the last three months? Anybody? Well, it's true, we are. We are living in the last days. But I want to put a picture on that. I want to, like, paint a picture, if I can, uh, of this. And uh, let's say you're, you're right. We are living in the last days, and we can say that with, with certitude. But I want to tweak it a little bit and... Uh, so let's turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. Now listen carefully. See, what, what we do is we read a scripture, and the scripture says pretty much says exactly what it meant to say, but we skew it, and we read into it what we want it to say. I thought I might get an amen or two. We read it, and it generally says what it means to say. But we read into it what we want it to say based on, and we can't go back over this because I did for two Sundays, assumptions and presuppositions that we already have in our mind about what we're reading. So if you were in a, a, uh, a New Testament theology class or if you were in a preaching class, they would tell you, do not eisegete the passage. Now, I, I, I know you felt holy bumps just go right down the back of your spine with that word. But rather, exegete the passage. That means let the text speak for itself. Don't read into it, 
read out of it. So that's what we want to do. So this is teaching and maybe with some preaching mixed in with it, okay? Is that okay? I was like, you're giving me a look like what? I thought that was, I didn't know that was different. There's a little bit of difference. So, so just hang with me and I'll do my best not to be boring and not to be long. Can I get an amen? I'll see if you're listening. Okay, so then, oh, by the way, well, I won't share that. You'll have to ask me later. Okay, so in Acts chapter 2, verse 14 and 17, okay, this is what it says. Uh, now, you know that this, this uh, text comes out of the, the uh, Pentecost passage in Acts chapter 2. Uh, the dead Pentecost was fully come. They were all assembled together. And I won't go through all of that, but we'll pick it up here. Where Peter stands up and explains what's going on. Because the people thought, what's going on? Why are these people acting like this? So then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you have lived in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Okay, Peter is going to explain this to us. Are you listening? See, Peter is going to explain this to you. Listen carefully, because if you don't listen carefully, and if you don't let Peter explain this to you, you're going to read something else into it. You're going to read something else into it. Let me say it again. If you don't listen to Peter, and if you don't listen to him carefully, you are going to read something else into it. So this is what he says. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully what I'm saying. These people are not drunk. That was one thing you wanted to make known. They're acting a little different, I understand that, but they're not drunk, as you think they are, or as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. So if somebody's drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning, there's a problem. If they're drunk at all, it's a problem. Thank you. Sometimes we just throw stuff out there to see if you're paying attention. No, no. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Joel was a minor prophet. He's, one of the, he's in the Old Testament, the book of Joel. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel that in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all, the King James says flesh, the NIV says all people. God will pour out his flesh on all people. Now, we spent the last two Sundays talking about the signs of the times, which is another phrase that we misuse, and it's real important that we understand how it is properly to be used. We misuse the phrase, and so because we misuse the phrase, we lose the immediacy of the moment of what it's trying to speak to us. And it's real important. It makes a, it makes a difference how you process life, how you live your life, how you understand those two texts. I've tried to demonstrate as biblically as I can and be as truthful to the scriptures as I possibly can be that that phrase, the signs of the times, is not pointing to some future event, which is what we almost, almost always mean when we use the phrase. And it's totally out of context to do that. When the Bible talks about the signs of the times, when Jesus uttered the words, he, the future was not in his thinking. It wasn't what he was talking about. It isn't what he was addressing. And it's very important that you understand it and know that because it makes a difference in how you process right now. It really, really does. And I know I just said those words, and it could just be, mm, in your hearing. And I don't want that. I want the Spirit of God to make the words pregnant because only he can do that so it will make a difference in how you live today. 
which is important. The signs, the signs of the times talk to me about what's in front of me right now. Jesus says, I'm here in your midst. I'm right here in front of you. And you do not recognize the moment that you're in. And that is, what I, that is a scary predicament. That's a scary phrase. That's a, dis, that's a dis, discomforting kind of paradigm. If you're the one that recognizes and you realize no one else recognizes it or not many recognize it. But to be able to recognize the time that you're in. I'm standing right in front of you and you don't recognize the signs of the times. You don't recognize what's right in front of you. You can see the, 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 the sky and you can discern the colors of the sky, whether you should go out on the sea or not, but you can't recognize that the Son of God is standing right in front of you. That's what he's talking about, not some future kind of thing. And it's important. So he's asking the question, and this is why this is important, to, to get your eyes off of that. See, Jesus said that. I mean, it's one of the last things he said. Get your eyes off of that. Please get your eyes off of that. Because, I mean, how many times have you heard this? And it, yeah, it's, it, it's just ingrained in us. We can't hardly help it. We just want to go there. It's like kind of built into our, our, our DNA. Like we want to go there. And Jesus says, please don't go there. Because you're not going to know. And my, I don't know. The angels don't know. Only the Father knows. He has it in his own possession. He's it's his very own personal knowledge and he's not going to share it i don't know and if jesus don't know you don't know and and he's not going to give a sign and you're not going to figure it out and you're not going to be able to put it on a map and go there it is you're just not going to be able to do that but that, that's what we want to do and that's the books that sell and that's what many of us have been taught and think notwithstanding what the scriptures plainly say so if it doesn't say that what is it saying it's saying something like this in what way do you recognize the kingdom of God is on the earth right in front of you right now? And how are you engaging it? That's what it's saying. That's what it's saying. But if you think it's something over there, that's not really going to engage you today. So you can just live any way you want to because you think about it, it's over there. But no, it's right here. It's right in front of you. And how are you discerning it? And how are you responding to it? There's an urgency to it. Because if you really believe, just think about this. If the believers in Christ Jesus, just in our nation alone, believed that the kingdom of God was right in front of them, and how could they discern it, and in what way could they, could they further it, how much different we would live? But because it's over there sometimes, somewhere, and it ain't quite here yet, then we can just kind of put it off and not let it be right in our face. When it's right in our face, it's right in front of us. I'm sorry for... I'm just being like Peter. I'm raising my voice to make the point. What do I discern about the kingdom of God in my present moment? See, when I'm at, when I'm at the house and, and Vic does something I don't really like, the kingdom of God is still there. And in what way am I seeing it? In what way is it being manifest in me in particularly? Come on! In what way is it being manifest in me? The kingdom of God is supposed to be manifest in me right now, not some sweet by and by. So if I'm living out some other paradigm other than the kingdom of God, whether I'm at the grocery store, in the house with Vicky, or in the church, then some other paradigm is working in my life, and it's not the kingdom of God. 
when this is supposed to be the focal point of our very being, the kingdom of God, the kingship of Jesus, Jesus being Lord of my life. And if I'm acting other than that, there's something else going on. And that other thing is not good. So my, my question is, so like when I run into a situation at the store or at church or in my yard or with my neighbor, I'm supposed to ask the question, the kingdom of God is here. What is God doing? That's the question. Not like Vicki doesn't always do what I want her to do, which most times she does, but not always. So what am I to do about that? At carnal? No, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is all around me. I am it and it is me. And I am, I am, I'm living it and I'm manifesting it. The kingdom of God is being manifested in my life. I'm demonstrating a light is shining out of me. You are the light and the salt of the world. Not some statement on the wall. But you. See, it has to be incarnate, lived in you. And if it's not lived in you, you need to do some soul searching. And we do do soul searching because we're so frail creatures. But the problem is, is become, we become desensitized and we're, all our thinking is about some future date by and by in the future. So we live however we want to in the present and the kingdom is not manifest among us. What is he up to? What is he doing? In what way is my life pointing to Jesus right now? See, in what way is Jesus being manifest in me? Here and now, because this is the present moment I'm in. I don't have another moment. I have this moment. See, I can be mad at you. Say, like, say, maybe you don't like me. Or say, maybe you like, don't like something. Maybe I, I, maybe I think I have the Coke and the chips, but you know I only have the Coke, and I've never even seen the chips. And you let me know that. I can be highly offended that he doesn't think I don't have all the chips. Well, in humility, I should admit, I, I really know I don't have all the chips. But for the scenario, think that I do have all the chips. And so because you don't think I don't have all the chips, well, me and you just can't see eye to eye. And me and you just aren't going to get along. And in fact, I don't even like you. In what way? In what way is Jesus manifesting that? Come on. Dig with me. It's not about who you are or what you want or what you don't want. It's about is Jesus being manifest in me in this moment? If I am drugged before courts or if I am just whispered about in the neighborhood, what difference does it make? The kingdom of God is here. And I've confessed that I want to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus in my life. He's Lord of my life. It's not some abstract kind of theological concept out there. No, it's living and breathing. It's me. It's not my brother. It's not my sister. It's me, Lord. So Jesus said, the kingdom of God is nothing that is over there or over there. I say, the kingdom of God is over there. No. He said, no, it's, it's right here. It's right with you. So in what way, in what way 
is, is, is salvation history. When I mean by salvation history, I mean like, like my own life has a salvation history. There was, I was born into the world. I was born a sinner. I was born a rebel, separated from God because of systemic sin that's in, that's in, the, in the created universe through the fall. And, and I, was, I was confronted with the gospel. I was presented the gospel of Jesus many, many, many times. And there were people all through my life, Sunday school teachers, evangelists, neighbors, parents, uncles, aunts, all of them living before me, speaking to me, modeling Jesus in front of me. But I, for, for 19 years, basically 19 years, I wasn't receptive. So all the while... God's grace and mercy was calling out to me, and I did not listen to it until one day. God continually speaking to me, trying to rescue me out of my brokenness, out of my darkness. I, I heard in a different way. I heard, and I listened, and I responded, and I said, okay, Lord. And, and when I said, okay, Lord, be Lord of my life, forgive my sin, blot out my transgression, come into my heart and life. I was converted. I was born again. I was renewed. I, the old was gone. The new has come. I was a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's salvation history in my personal life. But God has this thing going on in the world, in everybody's life. So when I say salvation history, so in what way? Now come up, please think with me. Hang, this is really important. In what way does your life count for the salvation history of God's actions in the world. I mean, it really matters. And you, you, unless, you, unless you rise above the, the morass, unless you rise above the morass, and what is morass? Somebody took my parking place at church. I got fired for no good reason. They don't like me. People talk about me. Politics is not what I want. I, I can't eat all the cake and cookies that I want because if I do, I develop a shape I'm not really looking for. The morass of living life. Stuff. The kids don't obey me. The morass of life. But if I let the morass shape me and cultivate me and formulate the atmosphere that's brewing inside of me, in what way am I helping Salvation history happened not only in my life, but in my husband's life, in my wife's life, in my children's life, in my neighborhood's life, in my church's life. See, it's bigger than you are. You're not the point. The kingdom of God is the point. That's why we have to die, because we want to make everything about ourselves. We, we really do. And that's hard, and that's why Paul says, I have to die every day. Because it wasn't verbal rocks, it was real rocks. So he had to die. And Jesus, looking into the face of the centurion that was driving the nails, not just actions I don't really appreciate, or you hurt my feelings, or uh, whatever. I'm not in a good mood. Looks in the face of the one who's driving the nails in his hands, and he says, Lord, strike him down dead. Seriously? He looks in the face of the very one who's going to literally, physically kill him and says, Father, forgive him. 
he doesn't fully even know what he's doing. In what way is the kingdom of God, the kingship of Jesus, being manifest? Because that's all that matters. That is all that matters. When I get sidetracked and distorted and off the mark. And looking over there is off the mark. In what way are my life's choices and the decisions I make advancing or hindering the work of God in the world? Because His work is far more important than mine. And any agenda I might have. Jesus said, work. Work while it's still day. While you can think about it. While you can make a difference. While you can hug that little child that's like so irritating. So you can hug that person that you know probably may not like you. You can hug them anyway. Because it's not about you. It's about him. And your only objective is that he be exalted somehow. In some way through the fragileness of your own life. In what way? See, these are questions that you need to ask about the, the signs of the times. See, that's where I'm at. See, my name, you may have already forgot that. I almost did myself. The signs of the times. We're not talking about when Jesus comes back. We're talking about, is Jesus here right now? And in what way? And how is it manifest? And how is it demonstrated? What's in front of you? And, and in what difference are you making? In what way are my hands and my feet and my mouth the voice of Jesus? Am I a grace-filled person? Hello? Am I a grace-filled person? You know what that means? See, you do know what that means. But then why do we refuse to live it out? We know what that means. Grace means undeserved, unmerited. You know what that means? It means you didn't deserve it. You can't earn it. Favor. So what needs to happen is that whoever doesn't like me the most... needs to receive the most love from me. See, you guys, whoop! And I'm 60 years old, and I hate to confess that. But I did that, not because the Spirit of the Lord said jump over that, to make the point that we get so distracted, we get so thwarted off of stuff that, that, that doesn't glorify who Jesus is. And I'm not trying to be silly, but it's just... Imagine what the church could be if we bought into it. If we believed it. If it shaped who I was. And, and, and maybe what temptation that came over me to act in such a way. It, I will not give place to that. I won't give place to that. Because in no way does that glorify who Jesus is. And Lord, I seem to be glorified in my life. And I don't mean it as a phrase that I've learned over 25 years. And I'm burning up. And this sweater probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but it's so important. Can you see? Can you not feel? Maybe feel what I'm trying to say to you. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that goes on in the world, and this is not the first year that it's happened. Think of what the first century church had to endure. Nothing what we are talking about. It's not even close. Anybody been drugged before a lion, and you heard him roaring behind the cage? Before they come to maul your body, literally? Why are you so upset? 
My kingdom is not of this world. And my servants would fight. Well, if you're fighting, what kingdom are you of? Now, don't get me wrong. I know there's things that matter. But if they get in the way to, the, to glorifying God and Jesus not being exalted, I'm afraid it's another voice that's speaking. It's like when, when Jesus with the disciples, they said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven? They're not honoring you. He didn't say, boy, I'm glad you guys got my back. He didn't say that. He said, you don't recognize the spirit that is speaking out of you. Remember John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God. That must be the motif. Uh, what does that mean? That must be the paradigm. That must be the model. That must be the value. That must be the conviction of my life. Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And who was this healing? I can't remember his name right now. And he says, if I'm anything in the world, I want to be the finger of John the Baptist pointing to Jesus. Because that's the only thing that matters. This world will pass away and every government and every system will pass away. But the kingdom of God will not pass away. The gates of hell will not stop it. That doesn't mean you're not thrown to lions. It doesn't mean you're not thrown in a gulag. It doesn't mean they don't bind you in chains and beat you. It doesn't mean that. It means the kingdom of God will not be stopped. And the early people, instead of whining over what the Romans were doing to them, would say, Lord, may the blood of our bodies be seed that will spring up unchurch. Do you see the difference? Okay, I haven't even got to my phrase yet. But hold tight. I'll skip stuff. Okay, so, that was all introductory. I skipped stuff. Okay. The last days. Signs of the times. We dispensed the signs of the times because I thought it was so important to come back to that. Because if we really believe my life is a sign of the time, the time... And by the way, so you saw this up here, and maybe you've been reading it or wondering, what, well, I can't read it too far away. So, like, this is creation. So I'm giving you a biblical concept of, of time. Okay? Not some book or not some pastor or not some author. The biblical, a biblical worldview of time. So here you have creation, and the Bible calls it the past age. The, 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 the creation age up through the birth of Christ, the Bible calls that the past age. It's the age that is past. Now it puts a big umbrella over a broad period of time. The past age, or the last ages. The Bible uses the term of ages. Ages. So, but when Christ came, and Christ came in his first coming, Something shifted in a biblical in biblical history. Something radically shifted. Christ came, so the New Testament calls it, since the time of Christ, it calls it this present age. This present age. This present age. So when you read in the Bible, it says this present age. He's talking about the time from Christ's first coming to Christ's second coming, or it's sometimes called the end of the ages. But this is the most common, this present age. Now, what, what blesses our socks off, what blesses our socks off, and what gets me so excited is that since Christ came, now this is after Christ's second coming, and when Christ, when Christ comes and sets up his new kingdom, it is what we look forward to is like the age to come. 
It's when Christ rules on the earth and there's no sickness and death and, and uh, people love each other and, and people serve and uh, it's a whole new deal. It's a whole new deal. When Christ comes and reigns on the earth, it's a whole new deal. But we call the, the New Testament writers call that the age to come. But this is what blesses our socks off. Did I say that a while ago? Is that this is what the New Testament writers explain to us. And this is why, this is why recognizing the signs of the times is so important. Because what has happened is, is that the age to come has, this is so exciting. I might have to jump over this one. You ready just in case I stumble? Okay. Is that the age to come has invaded the present age. Whoop! I held it down. <laughs> I held it down. And because the age to come, through the advent of the Holy Spirit and the, 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 the ascension of Christ and the outpouring of the Father's love upon us through the, the Holy Spirit, the dynamics, the dynamics, the life of the age to come has invaded the present age. So the church is the man. Uh, the church is supposed to be the dynamic witness in the present age that the age to come is really coming. And we've got our ticket and we're on board and see our lives. Well, I can see your life, but you're just like mine. You don't like anybody. You're mad at people. You don't give nothing away. So in what way? That's why I said, you don't recognize the signs of the times. Don't recognize the signs of the times. So the age to come really isn't being manifest or made known or demonstrated. Or, don't you, remember the, the New Testament? You are living epistles. Not pages on ink. Don't you know that the Spirit of God lives in you now in this present age? Not in some age to come. Don't you know that God is making his appeal to the world? Not through angels, but through you. God is making his appeal to your neighbor, to the gas station attendant, to the grocery store clerk, to your children, to your husband, to your wife. You know who should be your great... I, I will stop, but it's not even 1130 yet. Do you know who, you should be, who should be your greatest witness? Like if you were called into court and you were charged for being a Christian. You know who should be your greatest witness on your behalf? Either your children or your husband or wife. Should be your greatest witness. And then you were called and say, we're going to put a bunch of Bibles over here because we know that's what you stake your life on, or at least you say. Now put your right hand on that Bible and say, Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Does your wife live out what they say? I plead the fifth. That was a joke. I was meddling right there, so just get through with that. Okay, I'm going to read you some passages of Scripture really quick. Okay. Acts chapter, I already read that, so we can skip that one. Acts, that was Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what, spoke, this is what Luke said. Uh, Luke was quoting Joel, that in the last day I'll pour out my spirit. And that was the one I was going to read, but we already read that, so we don't have to take time. So, uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. That's uh, right here. Mark this, mark this, write this down, pay attention. 
There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power of it, have, have, present tense, nothing to do with those kind of people. Now, on the surface, the context of that sounds like people are going to be pretty bad in the last days. But if you have any understanding of all, at all of the things Paul dealt with in Corinth, in particular, in Rome, and how people lived in Rome, you know the context, the scripture makes it plain that all of these things were taking place in Paul's life at that present moment. Why do you think he had to run for his life? Why do you think he was stoned three times? Why do you think he spent most of his adult life as a, as a Christian in prison or many years of his adult life in prison? Because all this stuff was going on. Hebrews chapter 12. In the past, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Sorry, I misread that. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and, and in many times and in various kinds of ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by or through his son so whoever wrote the book of hebrews is teaching that in that present moment jesus enters ushers in the last days it explicitly says it. james chapter 5 and verse 3 this is a hard saying your gold and your silver are corroded the corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire because you have hoarded wealth in the last day. Days. In the last days. So James is, has a, James is really, really hard if you have money. He's really hard on you. Uh, so he'll be mad at Vicky, not me. Uh, she's my sugar mama, and so... Hey, Vicky, can I have this? Just kidding. So James clearly thought that he was in the last day and he was saying, listen, your, your money is not about you. Your money is about the kingdom of God and don't go dying and, and have a whole bunch of it left. That's just what he's saying. Don't argue with James. Second Peter chapter 3. Now, now, wait a minute. Back up. Now, he's not saying being foolish because Jesus plainly said, which of you who goes to build a house doesn't measure that out and sets aside enough money or at least makes a figure and a way to provide for the building of the house or unless it, you start the house and you didn't count the cost, you didn't plan out appropriately and you get the foundation laid and maybe the wall is built, but that you're out of money. Who does that? So there's common sense, practical wisdom. He's just talking about hoarding, not having a emergency fund or a retirement fund that's just prudent and wise hallelujah amen somebody help out okay so don't go get some false guilt it's hoarding meaning what that means is god can't provide okay i gotta move on there is there is and i'm down to the last page 
Everybody go. Okay. Now, the Bible plainly, plainly teaches that there is a last hour and a last day. A last hour and a last day. So when you read that word hour or day in the singular, he is definitely talking. I said definitely. That's not conjecture. It's not like, is he really? Maybe. In every instance, he's talking about the last hour or the last day. And that's what it means. The Bible makes it plain. The last day appears six times, and the last, the last time appears three times. The last time, four times. And, and you can find uh, the last day singular in John chapter 6, uh, 22 through 29. So here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. Is that there is this uh, dynamic at work in, New Test in the New Testament writing in particular. Saul by the Old Testament prophets spelled out with the New Testament uh, writers and what, what theologians, if you were going to go take a, a class, they would call this dynamic, now pay attention to the words because I'm almost done. I know you've been waiting very, very patiently. Realized, when you realize something, it's, what is it? When you realize something, it's, it's, it's here. You, you, you got it. It's, it's, I, I understand it. It's, it's in front of me. I realize that. I get it. Or I, I, someone says, I'm going to send you a $100 check, and I never get the check. What, what I said was, if somebody said they were going to send a $100 check, and I never got the check. I never realized the check. That's what I'm saying. But one day, I kind of forgot about it. An envelope shows up in the mail. It may have been six months. I opened the check and wow, there's a check from Johnny for a hundred bucks. That's not a suggestion or anything. That's just an illustration. I realized the promise that was given. I kind of forgot about it because some time has gone by, but I, I realized the promise. So in, in theology, and in, in, in if you was in the class, they would call it, realized eschatology. Hold on, I'll wait the chills to simmer down. Okay, now these, so, like, for instance, like right now, our nation is going through an election. And over the last couple of days, there has been a, a pronouncement of, of a new president. The election has taken place, and I, I get it, I'm using it as an illustration, so just calm down. Uh, <laughs> I'm using the illustration, it makes the point really well. So we had an election back on November the 3rd. We're now November the 8th. It's been a few days now. Now people talk about it and they have all kind of opinions about it. But what has happened, if the things hold out as they, they appear to be, is that we now have a new president-elect. So, I think it's, I forget the exact date, but I think it's like on December the 13th. I don't know the exact date. But the electors will cast a ballot. Y'all follow me? And the electors will cast their vote per their state's popular vote. At least that's how it's supposed to play out. And we will have a new official president-elect. However, even though we know that information right now, 
there can no action be taken on it. Because he is not actually going to be the president until like January, whatever the date is. 20th? January 20th. So what we have is stuff going on over here. It is not realized until over here. You follow me? So in this present age and the age to come, what's happened is, is that the, present, the, the age to come has entered into the present age. The age to come has entered into the present age. So we have what we what theologians call realized eschatology so that there is a present judgment. Un, sinners, unconverted, unreconciled to God are judged. They already stand under judgment. That's just what the Bible says. So there is a present judgment on people who are not reconciled with God. But it says there is a day of judgment coming when it will be fully real, uh, laid out. There is present salvation right now in this age. But there is a day coming where that salvation will be fully revealed. And Paul says we can't even imagine what that really is like. Right now we wrestle against flesh, no, but we wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places and all kinds of things. It talks about a future condemnation. Away from me, I never knew you. That's a future, but they're under condemnation right now, unreconciled to God. There is a present death at work. There is a future death that's coming. There is this dynamic called the already, but not yet. The already, it's already here. It's not fully manifest. So, Jesus says, take no thought for tomorrow, because tomorrow will take care of itself. What he's saying is, quit looking over there. Think about today. Because, if you will take care of today, now, now I'm almost done. We're really in the last two paragraphs. If you will take care of today, Tomorrow will be taken care of. But we worry about tomorrow. We're not there. We can't get there. We can't go there. We can't do anything about it other than be a good steward and make those kind of preparations. So he says, take no thought for tomorrow because it'll just worry you to death. Take care of today. There was a, once, there was a wise man. I think he's still alive. His name is Jim Mabe. He said one time, if you take care of your pennies, your dollars will take care of themselves. It's not a bad statement. But if you don't start today, you may not have tomorrow. John writes, the Apostle John, my little children, it is the last hour. So if you knew, if you knew that this was your last hour, if you knew that this was your last hour, what would you do? Think about it seriously. You, you don't know that it's not. You know how many people got up yesterday thinking they were going to the store or thinking they were going to work or thinking they were going to visit family? They never got there. They had no idea. If you knew this was your last hour, what would you do? What phone call would you make? What would you take care of? What prayer would you pray? And I urge you to do that now. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. 
Don't say four more months and then the harvest. Look, now, today. The harvest is ready now. The time is now. As far as you and I are concerned. What preparation are you making? You can only take care of it today. Jesus let that soak in for a minute because you can by the help of God the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit live a kingdom life today will you get it all right no you won't because you're just a human being and you only understand what you understand but that's okay because you're not saved by how much you know you're saved by loving Jesus and loving others. What phone call do you need to make? What prayer do you need to pray? Because today is the accepted time. Lord, we recognize our frailty. We recognize that we can only understand so much. And we have this treasure, this heavenly treasure in a jar of clay. And because we recognize that, it's just not them over there that have jars of clay. I'm a jar of clay. I'm a cracked pot. I don't have it all together. I don't have all the answers. I fall short. But by the grace of God, I will press forward. And because you, in loving kindness and overwhelming grace, forgive me in spite of who I am. And you know me inside and out. You still love me. And you extend to me grace. And because of that, I do the same to others. I extend to them grace and love and kindness and forgiveness. Even, even if they seem stupid. How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? I tell you 70 times seven. Oh, that many? I think they've exceeded that. That's to miss the point. So Holy Spirit of God, only you can do what needs to be done in our hearts and lives, in our minds. So we're here. We're getting ready to go. Do the divine surgery and help us to recognize the divine encounter that is before us. We pray this in Jesus' name. The Lord be with you. Please stand. The Lord be gracious to you and be gracious to others because the Lord is gracious to you. Remember, you really are living in the last days. You recognize the signs. You're dismissed.
Thanks for joining us at Central Church today. If you'd like to get involved, please visit us at centralnazarene.org.